Welcome to Know Your Risk Radio on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. Know Your Risk Radio is hosted by Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Know Your Risk Radio is brought to you by Bulwark Capital, helping families navigate the ever-changing and often volatile markets. Know Your Risk Radio starts now. Here's your host, Zach Abraham. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for yet another of the most scintillating hours in finance radio. We're coming in hot. Got a great show planned for you today. No more. The interview thing has been a mess. Um, if it hasn't been my issues, it's been other people's. So we've got to, I keep telling you there's a backlog. Um, <laughs> there is, and it keeps getting backed up. We've got about, jeez, there's about four. We'll probably do two or three next week. Um, so those will be dropping. Keep an eye out for that. And I promise this time we've we've got it we've got it dialed in. We've got it drilled down. It's not it's not going to fly to fly away. This week again, uh, this well, one of them was my fault. Um, I've got a whole house full of sick people. Even my wife woke up this morning sick, and so I had to take. I was going to do an interview early this morning and had to take kids to well. One kid got to school because he's feeling better. But anyway, it's just been a mess. So we're, we're going to get we, – we've got it we've got it dialed in, though. We're coming back hot next week. A um, lot of interesting data to go over. A lot of good stuff happening. Um, hasn't been that fun for us. I think the value portfolio is just slightly negative on the year. S&P's up like five, six now, five or six. <clears throat> it's maybe six, six and a half after the last couple of days. Uh, momentum portfolio's doing much better. Um, it's actually – up half a percent today. It's been it's been rocking and rolling. So once again, things really well so far. And it's early, you know. Um, and and I'm not, you know, I, I guess I'm not horribly surprised at the value perfor- portfolio's performance because, you know, the sharp performance out at last, or excuse me, last year. And you're going to see some asset rotation. But this is why we use both portfolios, right? Um, again, last two days we've been holding in there right around even. Um, but. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it, <laughs> it's a mess. It is a mess out there. So let's talk about some of the news. Um, first of all, was reading an interesting piece uh, by a guy named uh, Marco Kulanovic. Is it Marco? Yeah, I believe it's uh, Marco Kulanovic. Really sharp guy for uh, J.P. Morgan. And um, I thought that he summed up the last month and a half perfectly. Which is, you know, all the bullishness is coming out. The Kramers of the world are excited, declaring it's new bull market. We do not think so. Uh, could be wrong, though. Those market and, and and here we are, even after getting hit these last two days. The, you know, Nasdaq is still trading above the two hundred day moving average, so we have to respect that. Okay, I, I don't. I am slightly bearish here, but we're not net short. We got some hedges on, and I kind of think that's the play, right. This kind of goes into my view that I was talking about on the on the three-minute open that we do here on the show in Seattle is I just think it's a mixed bag. I don't think you can get overly bearish. Um, I still don't want to be in tech. Anyway, we, we, we'll get to that that Morgan Stanley uh, Simmel, I believe is his name. But And I, I teased that first, so I, I teased that in the three-minute open, so you guys didn't hear about that. But anyway, one of our segments we're going to talk about, I thought there were some really interesting comments coming out by one of the they came out by one of the head strategists at Morgan Stanley, and I didn't agree with everything he said, but I but I really like um, I like the way he positioned things, and I thought it was a very rational, measured approach. Um, and so so we'll go over that. But but Kalanovic put out a piece talking about the run up we've seen over the last you know forty five days or whatever, and um, just talking about you know what's going on, and he's just he, he kind of shared my sentiments and and what what we were saying, guys is. While this rally has taken place, interest rates have gone up. Um, you have had a reaccelerate. Now it's just one month, but but uh, uh, you know a pop back up in inflation, which is not a good right. Everybody's like, oh, it's going down. We beat this thing. Last month it pops up again. Why does it pop up? Why did inflation? I I honestly think it's just the market. If you look at consumer spending and the S and P five hundred, they didn't used to have much correlation, right? The correlation is striking. And, 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 and I think that there's several reasons for that. I think some of them are not good. Some of them are not good or bad. And some of them are good. But one of the biggest reasons for it 
first of all, our economy has become so financialized. When people retired in 1970, the average person didn't own any stock, right? They would get their pension. And then they might have some CDs, they'd get their Social Security, and there you'd go, right? That, that was the way most people did it. Maybe they'd have a few stocks here and there, but it was kind of a long-run thing. They didn't live on that, right? Well, we all know what happened to pensions, so that went away. So what's happened now, Every right, the stock market has become everybody's retirement account. It's pensions, right? Stocks are more widely owned by 10x than they were back then. And what you also have happening right now is you got something like eleven to 12,000 baby boomers a day retiring, okay? And you have the biggest generation in history up until the millennials. Millennials are bigger, not by a lot, but they're bigger. But the biggest and wealthiest generation in history is going into retirement. You got more people in retirement today than you've ever had, all right? That wealthiest generation's got all the money. Where is the vast majority of their wealth? It's in the stock market. Okay, when the market goes up 20%, you're probably going to see a tick up in consumer spending. They're feeling better, right? They might go buy the grandkids a new bike, take an extra vacation. The flip side of that is markets down 20%. You're going to see the exact opposite behavior, right? So the reason I think that this is fascinating is as this has gone on, I've become increasingly convinced that the market can go up, but inflation will not go back down, right? that I think that the only way you rein in inflation is by not the only, but there's other factors at play. Obviously, I just don't think you're going to get inflation down to the feds two to 3% target unless you, unless the market pulls back. And this is kind of what we've been saying. And what was interesting to me was that CPI print came out. Was it yesterday? Was it yesterday or Wednesday that showed a reacceleration into, into uh, inflation. And um, one of the, one of the fed governors came out like that day and started floating the idea of a 50 basis point rate hike. And that backs it up. I'm sitting there going, why would they respond that quick when they've been trying to like soothsay the markets and, you know, oh, we're raising rates, but we're keeping an eye. Now all of a sudden you jump back. Because I think that, uh, again, I this is speculation on my part. It's not like I can pick up the phone and talk to Jay Powell. But I, I would assume their reaction, I, I would assume they're seeing what I'm seeing. That would be the assumption. Because if I was in their shoes, that's what I'd be doing too. And most importantly, I'd be talking tough, which is I, don't, I, I just don't understand why they're – right, well, look, if we start getting going down the path of not understanding what the Fed's doing, we could be here all day. But, um, but bottom line, Marco Kalanovic, he broke it out and just said, look and, – and we talk about this all the time, but, but there's so much – there's so many things subjective in investing. But there are some objective things. Here's an objective thing. By and large – Okay. And obviously there are exceptions because individual companies can have other things happen. But if we're looking at a pool of assets and interest rates go up and bonds are paying more, those assets are worth less. Okay. Conversely, if we're sitting there looking at a pool of assets and interest rates go down, those assets are worth more. Okay. And you can see several examples of this. If you go look at the peak of interest rates in the United States, late 70s, early 80s, right in that ballpark, you also saw the cheapest stock market in history. S&P got down to three times earnings. And that's really what's amazing about this. When you look at all, what you have seen is you've seen that relationship break down. Now, the funny thing about that relationship is that's only a temporary breakdown because it is a real relationship. When you can make more money holding risk-free U.S. government bonds, when I say risk-free, if you hold them to term, you're guaranteed to get your money back. People are like, well, they're not going to be able to afford it. And then they'll print it, right? So you'll get your – it's like I tell our clients about Social Security. Don't worry about getting Social Security. You'll get it, right? The question is, is what will it buy you, okay? And why? That's why I laugh so hard when every time you get into the political – these guys are going to get rid of Medicare and Social Security. If anybody wants to get rid of Social Security and Medicare, they're going to have a very short political career. Okay, that's why you'll never see it happen. So it's all it's all nonsense. But um, but that's what's been amazing is the yield on the tenure during this run up in stocks has gone up fifty basis points, and you're getting hotter inflation reads, which means the Fed is going to at the very least have to keep rates higher for longer. That is not supportive of asset prices, certainly not at these levels, guys. You've still got the market trading at 22, 23 times earnings. It's crazy. 
And Kalanovic pointed out, and he just kind of looked at the math, and he goes, when you look at the interest rate moves, this market should, the NASDAQ specifically, should have been down 7 to 10% over that period of time. Now, I know that the reaction by many of you at home is going to be, well, this, you just never know what's going to happen in the markets. That's true, okay? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is the markets are ignoring math, um, which is pretty humorous. It, it just is what it is. Now, can the markets be right for a short period of time? Absolutely. Right. Uh, You know, the old adage, markets can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. And that's why we got to pay attention to them. This is why we approach things the way we do. It's why we have a value portfolio and a momentum portfolio. Right. Because our job is to be productive with assets, regardless of what is happening in the underlying uh, economy. Um, And thank God for I just I love having those two portfolios. (laughs) I just really do. It, It has made things so much easier that momentum portfolio is just, like I said, it's it's really starting to heat up. And um, I'll be honest with you. Some of the stocks it's put in there, I haven't even heard of them, right? Now, we do, do we want to do all of our investing that way? No, but this is why we need the combination of both, right? And um, yeah, thank, thank God for that baby during times like these. And then on the value side, the other reason we like it too, guys, is on the value side, it, there's so many things that we have in our portfolio. Today, our, our energy stocks are down like an average of 4%. Okay. And nobody enjoys that. It's not fun. I don't like it. It's frustrating as all heck, especially when you look at how much money these things are making. Um, But at the same time, that's why I love having that other portfolio over there because it allows me to stick with the conviction, right? It allows me to stick with it, stick by it. It allowed us to add to our long or our our 20 year U.S. government bonds uh, over the last couple of days, even though they were going down. Now we're still up on the position. It's still a, a pretty. I think we're, I don't know, wait, what are we up? I think our average cost on it, we were buying it right around 4% uh, yield. So we're probably up 8% on that position overall, something like that. Um, we're up a little more though <laughs> recently until rates until rates popped a little bit again. But um, yeah, it, and like I said, markets can do anything they want, but, but there are things that we, reality always wins out, right? Gravity always wins. And um the bottom line is if you want to speculate on these movements, you certainly can, but it's just interesting watching rates go up and stock prices going up with them and, and then looking at which stocks too, right? Not companies that are doing good. It's all the speculative garbage that pushed the last cycle. And that's another thing that the Morgan Stanley guy hit on that I, I want to share with you guys in that next segment. So um, the other one, I, I don't really know. It's, it's, sometimes it's hard to know in this business, right? There, there are times where <clears throat> something is going on that you don't understand. And I am guilty of this too, uh, where you look at it, you don't understand it. And it, it's just not making sense to you. And you're like, oh, that's nonsense. Right. Um, and then there's, and those are times where you need to listen to the market, right? Cause we don't know everything. It's impossible to, and we certainly don't know how everything's going to play out. Unfortunately. Sure would be nice sometimes, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> anyway, what what what's fascinating though is watching this break from reality, right? And a perfect example of this is the consumer spending numbers come out, and the headlines hit. Bulls start pushing it around. Consumer spending up three percent. Look at that! Oh, the consumer's so strong. Okay, hold on a second. First of all, we need to take uh, take a breath. Okay, and we need to look at that number and we need to put it in context. I think it is helpful to note that consumer spending is not inflation adjusted. That's a nominal number. So if consumer spending is a, is going up at a 3% annual clip while inflation is at 6.5, that's not growth, <laughs> right? That's negative, okay? That's why you can have a recession with consumer spending going up, right? Because if it's inflationary, it's negative, and that's the thing that you guys want to keep in mind, right? You can have a recession and have the economy still quote-unquote grow. Let's say we average 6% inflation this year. If you were to put a gun to my head, I think that average over the year would be but somewhere between 5 to 6 would be my guess. Um, I think it's going to be hot. Well, you know what? Probably not because you're at about 6.5. I think it's going to be way, way softer. So I'd say between four to five and a half, that'll probably, I I would guess that'll be your annual rate, your average. 
because I think you'll get lower than that. I think you'll get sub four before the end of the year just because of how quick the economy is slowing. But let's say it do- let's say that doesn't happen. Well, the economy's still growing. If the economy is growing at three percent a year nominally with six and a half percent inflation, that's negative three and a half percent growth. Okay. So it was really funny to see people get all excited and bold up. And that's why that rally on that data only lasted one day. And then the last two days, you've seen some bloodletting again because I think the adults came back into the room. But but I kind of put that right up there with stocks running up and, and uh, the trash stocks, the ARCs, right, the Teslas, all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm not saying Tesla's trash. I'm just saying that the, the stocks that have led, that have been ridiculously overpriced and have led this cycle. For them to rally at the same time rates are going up, a couple things about that. A, like I was saying, rates going up doesn't make any asset worth more money, all right? Even yet nothing. It just just doesn't. Look what's happening in real estate, right, which we'll get to as well. Um, But so so what I was saying earlier is there's things that happen you don't really understand, and you got to be careful because our gut reaction to be like, oh, this market is so stupid. I'm right, right? I'm right. And – we got to entertain the idea that we're wrong, but I will continue to say that this is the dumbest market in U.S. history or or in economic history. And by dumbest, I just mean, you know, when I saw those consumer spending numbers come out and that inflation print come out, I was like, this is going to hit this market. And that first day or two, it didn't. And everybody's just kind of like, doing, and boom, now the Nasdaq's down, what, three and a half, four percent in the last two days, something like that. Three, yeah, three. Yeah. Between three and a half, four percent. Um and why rates are up like that's that's what should be going on, especially in this environment. The other thing is economic data continues to sour. Um, you continue to get significant earnings and revenue misses by a lot of companies, especially the darlings of the move, uh, i.e. Shopify. Tesla announced 400, almost a 400,000 uh, vehicle recall yesterday due to them finally admitting that full self-driving is dangerous, which we've been telling you for years. Um there's just so many things in this market, in this culture right now that are complete nonsense that people believe with, with intensity, you know, and you're just like, I, it's not that I disagree with you. It's, that's just not accurate. Right. Um, and it's really an interesting place we're at culturally. I'll, I'll throw it right up there. Big headline came out today. Uh, research shows that natural immunity from COVID is just as effective, if not more effective than the COVID vaccine. <laughs> No way, right? Um, I I just maybe maybe things have always been this way. I just cannot recall a period of time in my life where I've seen more people so willing to believe adamantly things that are ridiculous on the face of it. We were telling you about the COVID vaccine, natural immunity. Be this whole idea, natural immunity isn't the best way. The vaccine may, and you're sitting there going, "What are you talking about? What a vaccine is trying to do is replicate natural immunity." That's the whole concept, right? It's a knockoff of natural. Natural immunity is always the best. And yet so many people believe that nonsense. Now we can get into why people are telling us this stuff. And I think that's probably a more interesting topic because, you know, guys like Fauci and, you know, doctors, they know that that was nonsense the minute it came out of their mouth. Why were they propagating it? I don't know. I'm not going to go down the whole conspiracy path and all. Again, there's plenty of shows that talk about that. I'm just using it as analogies for all of these things happening in culture where you're scratching your head going, why Why do you believe that, right? Wait, why do you – why – that that is completely inaccurate and here is proof. And they're like, well, that's just your opinion. They're like, well, no, that's my proof, right? That's my evidence. So, no, nah, it's, it's remarkable. But, um, yeah, that consumer spending thing. It, it's, I kind of look at it as the worst case scenario, really, right? Which is, for markets in the interim right now is what I mean. Um, because it's not hot enough to outpace inflation, so to deliver, de- deliver us real growth. But it's hot enough to where the Fed has to continue raising rates. You know what I mean? So you're kind of stuck in that middle ground. Um, so, it, you know, it is what it is. I think the Fed is going to have to raise more. I still think the best thing that they could do, and they just don't seem... I don't understand. I just don't understand what these people are thinking and what motivates them. I would sit there. They're talking about raising another 50 basis points. And I want to look at them and go, guys, you've already raised enough. The problem you've got is that you advertise it constantly and the market is constantly front running you. So don't raise another 50 basis points for God's sakes. 
I mean, what are you trying to do? Take the Fed funds rate to seven? I mean, look what's going on in real estate. You can't keep raising rates. If you want to knock this garbage off, hit them with a surprise 25 basis point rate hike in between meetings. Convince them that you're serious. 25 bips doesn't really change much, and you can pull it back if you need to. But you'll convince the market that they don't have you gamed. And juice will come out of the market, inflation will settle back down, and you won't need to keep jacking rates. Because if they continue on this path, they're going to jack until the whole thing breaks. And I just, God dang it. They, I swear to the Fed should have a rule that there should be some type of person on the FOMC all times who is not an academic and who is a market practitioner. Anybody that does this for a living could look at them and go, guys, it's not about the hikes. It's about the market thinking you're going to cave the minute the data turns bad. So what you need to do is throw something unexpected at them, and it doesn't need to be big. I think if they would have thrown a 25 basis point rake hike at them in between meetings a year ago, guys, I don't think you ever would have had to raise this much in the first place. Because the one thing I will sit there and say is people are like, well, how are things going to go? And I'm like, listen, this is pretty easy, right? If rates stay here for another 12 months, this whole economy is going up in smoke. You can't lever up that much debt and then raise rates that aggressively and not have a really nasty outcome, right? And what you what the Fed's goal should be is to tamp down inflation, not coddle the market. Because one, I, I honestly think that their coddling is undoing what they're doing on the rate hike side. Anyway, it certainly is an environment where you need risk management. I can tell you that, right? We need to have that value approach that I was talking about to take advantage of this market ridiculousness with the full understanding that the things that we purchase in value may not show returns right away, right? That's the whole point of value investing. But we also need the momentum portfolio to keep us up with all this nonsense and, you know, finding good runs and 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 getting us some good gains while both protecting our downside. We need to find a bond alternative. We need to develop income. We need to do this all in a way that significantly lowers our risk, guys, and increases our upside, lowers our expenses. That's what we do, okay? Our clients are still sitting on 13, 14% gains from the beginning of 2020 or 2021, rather. Right? There's a better way. You don't have to get slaughtered if things get dicey, which it looks like they will. Give us a call, 866-779-RISK and 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, boardcapitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. Stick with us through the break. We'll be right back. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach discuss key investment strategies across several asset classes, not just stocks and bonds. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. We're talking to Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. Zach, what's the number one concern with people's investments right now? Without a doubt, it's inflation, and it's here. With all the money printing from the Fed and long period of zero interest rates, the bills come and due, and inflation's going up. And when inflation rises, bonds get smoked. We've been saying it for years. If you're using bonds in the old-school 60-40 mix with stocks as the safe portion of your portfolio, you're taking a risk in today's inflationary environment. So what should our listeners do? If you're worried about inflation, we believe that you should consider getting out of bonds and get educated with Bulwark's bond replacement strategy. We teach you exactly how to do it in our free booklet, Common Sense Investing. Learn how to protect your portfolio against loss, but still seek to grow your assets. Call Zach now for your free copy of Common Sense Investing, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client services agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach uncover the truth about the financial markets with simple and honest advice to help you plan for retirement. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. We're talking with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. Zach, I know you and Bulwark are laser-focused on risk management. What is the biggest risk right now as you see it? Ironically, bonds. Really? Why? Due to all the money printing from central banks and the long period of zero interest rates, some serious inflation has hit. I'm sure you're aware. 
and inflation crushes bonds. We've been talking about it for seven years. If your portfolio has a significant portion of bonds, you may need a bond replacement strategy. You do need one. Get our free booklet, Common Sense Investing, to learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy. This shows you how to protect your retirement against loss, but still get market gains. Our goal is the highest returns with the least amount of risk and cost. Call now for your free copy of Zach's new version of Common Sense Investing. Learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client services agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you for sticking with us. And uh, wrapping up a couple th- a couple things I left out in the last segment, market update. Um, one thing that is really looking strong, um, not all of it, but the uranium. It, it, there's just life coming into that uranium sector that we've been talking about for so long. And Man, I just like anything involving uranium and nuclear power over the foreseeable. First of all, you're still extraordinarily cheap, like with the whole commodity complex, which is pretty ironic considering the inflation that we're looking at. Um, Another thing about this market, right? (laughs) Inflation is soaring and rates are soaring. Go buy really expensive tech companies. Okay. Um, No, but so so I love guys that combination. Well, there's another one I'm thinking about too. The combination of stocks showing good momentum to the upside plus really good valuations. Um, again, this is not a recommendation. Um, you know, can you have this as, as part of, yeah, I think everybody should have uranium as part of their portfolio. They should have some exposure to it, but that does not mean you should have 50% of your portfolio in it. I, I have no idea. So don't, you know, if you're out there and you're a home gamer, um, I think it's a great long-term investment. No clue what it's going to do over the long run though. Or, you know, no over the short run, especially in this, you know, especially in this crazy market. Um, another one, too, local company that is really, it's been one that we've liked for a long time um, in the portfolio, doing really well for us, PACAR. Um, interesting, interesting uh, moves. I, I would think in this backdrop, a company like that would get hit. It's not. It's doing pretty good. It's it's up like 21% over the last six months, something like that. Um and it's cheap, and they're an excellently run company. And so this kind of gets to what I was saying, and this kind of feeds into our next topic, about what the chief strategist at Morgan Stanley was saying. Let me, let me pull up his name for you guys. Hold with me one second. So uh, let's see. Morgan Stanley, um, Simmel says, anyway, you know what? I'm not going to look it up. Uh, that'll take too long. Um, <clears throat> anyway, but I'll, I'll kind of summarize what he was saying, and and. And I think he's got a good play. So I, I think he's got a good take. Now, I don't agree with his overall picture, but he's like, you know, this is a, so he got, kind of gets into his Warren Buffett thing. We want to buy stocks when other things are, when other people are afraid and blah, blah, blah. And you got to take advantage of cheap prices. Blah, blah. Um, at first I was kind of laughing because I was sitting there going, and he's like, after a brutal year last year with the S&P down 20. And I'm like, when the S&P is rallied, <laughs> Right, 70% or something like that over the last three years, a 20% pullback when it's still trading at 22, 23 times earnings. I just don't understand how anybody thinks that that is a time to buy stocks. Hey, I'm not saying the market can't go up from there, but you're acting as if this is a generational buying opportunity when stocks are right now trading more expensively than they have over the entire average of the entire bull run, right? So I just have a hard time. I'm sitting there going, well, 2019, when the markets were soaring, they were cheaper than this. So it kind of blows up your point, right? Why is this such a good buying opportunity? But he added some color and he thinks the market's going up. I don't think so. I think that the market will probably, if you were to put a gun to my head, I think the market will at some point make new lows in this cycle this year. And I think it will, you know, my best guess end of the year, I think you're probably going to end up fairly close to where we are now. Um, or maybe not. I, I, I just, I see a lot of chop and this get getting to his point was he said that there's a lot of opportunity out there in individual stocks. And I completely agree. Again, I don't agree with his market call because, and he articulates this as well. He said, look, you're 
you're going to want to be a stock picker. This is why I just couldn't really make the sense of this one part of what he said. You know, you've got to be selective. You want to be a stock picker. Riding the index isn't good. And as big tech struggles, just and I think it's just going to be an earnings story, right? I mean, you look at these big tech companies like Google and Apple and Amazon. They're, they're just barometers for the economy. You know what I mean? They, it's, it's just if the economy is struggling and you see it in their results, Apple's sales down 5% year over year, Amazon down, guiding for a weaker year this year. Same with Google, right? These are just economic indicators uh, or excuse me, economic barometers kind of just telling us, you know, think of how if you look at and we talked about this last week, too. But if, if you look at Apple, Amazon and Google they, and, and throw Intel in there, it gives you a really good look into the economy. It's kind of like what we what copper used to be. Right. Dr. Copper would tell you if the economy was growing or not. And I think those stocks are like that. But he referenced it. Just those things. They're not. They're not horribly expensive, but they're not cheap either, and they, they just got a tough road to hoe in front of them, and it's just hard to see any real momentum, right? Um, and because those stocks are such a big percentage of the market, if they're not rallying and they're under pressure, it's just going to be really hard for the index to go up. That doesn't mean there aren't things in the index that I think are going to – that are, are phenomenal va- value, right? I don't think there, there's – it doesn't mean that there aren't things in the index that, op- that represent phenomenal opportunities, Energy is still definitely one of those. The like I mentioned, Packard stock and Berkshire Hathaway, and you know I think there's a lot of great stuff out there. The uranium opportunities, and then some smaller tech type stuff that has gotten destroyed. We were looking at a couple. The problem with a lot of those deals is they're still they've gotten destroyed, but they're still ridiculously expensive. But there are some that aren't. I ran into one the other day, and I don't want to mention any names because we haven't made a decision on it. But it's been a previous high flyer. And it's still growing revenue at 30 to 40% a year. And I looked at it and I was like, hmm. And it just posted a decent profit. And it's only trading at about four and a half times sales. Five times sales. Not cheap. But if you're growing revenue at 30 to 40%. You know, the flip side is go look at Netflix. They're not growing revenue. They're losing money. And they're still trading at 40 times earnings. You know, that's another head scratcher that I can't. I just will not. I just cannot figure that out. Um, I just... And, 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 but what I think is going on is what this Simmel, Sim, Simwell or Slimmel, I think Slimmel is his last name from Morgan Stanley was talking about. And he goes, the mistake I see investors making is they're all betting on the previous winners. And he goes, this happens in every bear market. He's like, don't buy into it. Those are not going to be the stocks that lead. He's singing the same story. So I actually think that his outlook makes a lot of sense. It's not all gloom and doom, but it's not rosy. I, I, he gets to the end of it and he thinks the market's going up. And I just don't understand that based on his own data. Like, you know, he's sitting there going, well, these tech stocks at the top are going to struggle, but I think the market's going higher. Today. And I'm like, so kind of what we're looking for is a big rotation. I think that there are parts of the market that are going to do well. I think there's parts of the market that are going to continue to struggle. Um, and, and that's the outlook. And I, one of the things that we wanted to discuss today too, pivoting from that is get into the real estate discussion a little bit. Because that's been the other thing, a lot of bullishness in real estate all of a sudden. Why? I, I don't really know. I think mortgage rates went down a little bit, and I don't know if you guys remember. Now, we'll see if I'm correct, but but uh, what did we? I think a couple, at some point in the last quarter, we were talking about real estate, and I laid it out and said, look, I don't know if, you know, nobody knows exactly how this is going to play out, but if you had to make me guess, I think that we are close to, and if not, have already peaked in rates. Now, remember, the Fed is still going to raise again, but since the Fed raised over the last so over the last 50 basis point hikes, the last 225, yeah, we've had 225 basis point hikes so far. But over the last two basis point hikes, yields on treasuries like the 10 year have actually gone down. Okay? And I just think that's the market sniffing out the uh economic slowdown that we're that we're staring in the staring in the eyes. So just because the Fed's raised rates doesn't mean that all interest rate things have to go down in price, right? Um, if buying comes into those markets and starts buying up the 10-year because they think rates are going to eventually go down, then the 10-year won't go with it. Um, and that's what we've been seeing. Now, so I think that that little pullback in mortgage rates got people excited. And, and this is what our outlook was, is that if this is a recession and if the Fed has to continue raising, and I don't, I don't think they're going to do much. I, I, I think they only get one or two rates, rate cuts or rate hikes in there. And I, I mean, I don't 
again, you guys know my outlook. I don't even think we should be at these level of rates. I think they should have done them in a different way and got, you know, I think that, and as I was saying in the market update, I just think that you could have done this with a lot less damage. Okay. But if you look at the real estate market, there is still so much miss. I, this is a really simple picture guys. Okay. People are like, buyers are coming back in and things heating up in real estate. And you're like, guys, no. That what I think you're seeing happen is there is pent-up demand for real estate. There are still people that want to buy houses, right? There, there, there's interest. There's all that kind of stuff. And as rates on mortgages come down, I would expect, let's say they come down like half a percent or 75 basis points. I'd kind of, you know, they make a down move like that. And then they kind of chill there for a little bit. And that move down should bring in some buyers. And then I would expect that buying to kind of dissipate and then rates move down a little bit more. That'll bring kind of like a waterfall cascading waterfall effect, right? As rates go lower, it brings in more buyers. But this real estate thing is really simple. You have houses in terms of, I, I think we're right at or above now the records of 07 in terms of the price of homes compared to the average income. Okay. So houses nominally are the most expensive they've ever been. Right, not just in a nominal price, but also as a percentage of of uh, income, and then also you add the rates on top of it, and you have the most unaffordable housing market in U.S. economic history. Okay, and that's just data. That's just facts. Um, when you go look at the numbers, people just can't afford to buy here. It's really simple. It's not a buyer strike. It's not people choosing to look for a bargain. It, it, right, and so people. I think people are approaching the real estate topic or the real estate debate with far more um, with, with far more uncertainty and far more uh, I, well, what's the right word ambiguity if you will like you know acting like it's the stock market like well could this be about you know like there's mysticism in it and I'm just like guys this isn't the stock market okay. The stock market can do anything you it wants to do because people can just buy and sell the stock and you don't, you know, you don't have to go out and go through a mortgage process to, you know, and take out a loan for a million dollars to get a stock account, right? So stock, stocks can do anything they want. But if somebody can't afford the mortgage, it's not like they're making a choice, right? They're not sitting there going, well, I'm going to hold out for a better opportunity. They're going to hold out for an opportunity they can afford, right? And so let's just look at the math. Let's say you've got your average, you know, Two-parent two home, uh, family of four, they're looking for a new place, right? What do they want? Most likely, on average, you know, somewhere between that, let's call it 2,400, 2,800 square feet, two, you know, three bedrooms, two and a half baths, you know, four, four-tenths of an acre, half an acre lot, nice neighborhood, you know, good place for the kids to drive their bikes, all that kind of stuff, okay? And, and family of four like that, two parents working, probably knocking out 170, 180 a year, Okay. So after taxes and benefits and 401k contributions, you're looking at, you know, 9,500 bucks, maybe 10 grand take home. Okay. And so that, that metric, what, what, you know, what is a house going for, right? 2,400, 2,800 square feet, nice neighborhood, half an acre lot. I mean, shoot here in Seattle, in this area, you're probably looking at $800,000. Okay. Even in the suburbs in Seattle proper, it's going to be way more than that. Okay. But let's say around the country, it's five to 600. I know there's places like Arkansas. I was talking to one of my clients in Arkansas yesterday and uh, it's much cheaper there, but I'd say on average, you're probably looking at, you know, what let's call it five to six fifty for a house like that. Again, in this area more, well, you go do a mortgage at, what are you back up to now? 6.5% mortgages, 7% mortgages. Let's call it six and a half. You go do a mortgage on that. You know, you're looking at 5,500 a month. And you and you're making ninety five hundred a month take home, okay. And then you got to add taxes and and property tax property tax and insurance. That so you're looking at six thousand a month. Property taxes are going up too, pretty significantly in this area. I got a client that just had their property taxes double. Um, so it's just that's the issue, right? It's it's not it's not will they or won't they? It's they can't afford it. You know, if you you can't have a six thousand dollar mortgage when you're bringing home ninety five hundred to ten thousand a month at net, you know, after taxes. I don't even know if you can get finance for that. I'd have to look into that. But I mean, debt to income, I mean, you know, just, are you kidding me? You can't soak up 60% of your spendable income on your mortgage or even more than that, actually. So I think the real estate situation is pretty simple. I don't think we're on, like I said, I don't think we're looking at 08, 09. I just think prices have to keep coming down. You got to get the combination of prices and rates down.
and, and you got to get them down to the place where people can afford it. It's, you know what I mean? It's just not that complicated. So I don't really know where all the consternation and debate is. You know, and there'll be places that maybe you can see an acceleration or something like that. It's just, it's just math at this point, guys. So, you know, if you want my advice, if you're looking to make real estate investments, you know, wait for opportunities that you think you can't pass up. But I, I just, I think it's, I think it's a pretty simple picture at this point. I just don't think it, I, I just, I don't under, I, I kind of feel similarly right now about real estate as I did six months ago. And when, when I was talking about Dave Ramsey and um, one of our listeners, one of my clients was like, you know, I, I don't think you're being fair to Dave. And I, I want to reiterate this again. I, I love the guy. I think the guy has done I think he's very smart. I think he's helped so many people out. But I, I went off a little bit when he did his video saying real estate isn't going to fall. And I just went, what are you talking about, man? It has to. You can't raise rates this much. And he's like, well, if you're worried about rates, just buy your house now because house prices aren't going down. You can refi them when rates drop. And I'm like, buddy, rates are going to drop because the economy slows down. Okay, so you get a client that bought at the peak. You know, by the time rates drop, they're probably going to be sitting on a pile of negative equity. They're not going to be able to refinance their house. And, you know, for those younger people out there, if you don't know what negative equity is, you didn't go through the 07 collapse. Negative equity is where your house falls below in value what you owe. You're upside down. When you're upside down, unless you can bring cash, you can't refinance. And that's the sticky part. So I get young people asking me all the time, what should I do? And I'm like, look, if you find something you love at a payment you can afford, then buy it. But if you don't, don't, don't buy a house because you're afraid that they're going to continue to go up in price. Because if you do that... You could be married for that, married to that thing for a very long time, right? You get stuck. Happened to me. You don't want to be there. It's not fun. So anyway, um, we will be right back. Got to close up. Got a couple different things. We've still got to hit. So stick with us through the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. And as always, guys, if this is, you know, if, if this is the kind of thinking that you want, Right. If you want value for your fees, if you don't want to just be in one strategy, but you want to have some value in that portfolio where we're looking for those really good long term, really cheap Warren Buffett type plays. And, and, you know, and then we also got the momentum portfolio and, you know, two different styles in there. We got our bond replay. Right. If you want more upside with less risk and less fees, guys, give us a call. 866-779-RISK. If you're one of those people. And I've talked and I've heard from a lot of them. They're like, Zach, want to move our money to you or want to move, period, want to do something. But we're going to wait for things to bounce back. They just did. Okay. The other thing is, guys, they just did. But let me just give you a warning. That type of thinking is how you have big losses. Okay. You shouldn't be thinking like that because things aren't guaranteed to come back. What you need to be thinking about is the structure of your portfolio. Does your portfolio work the way it's supposed to? If you have the typical stock bond portfolio, you should know by now that all of the theories, all of the beliefs underneath the construction of that portfolio have been completely shredded. If you've listened to this radio show for a long time, we've been telling you that was the case and been telling you that that portfolio is going to get shredded. So it's not about waiting for things to come back. It's about understanding and realizing and accepting the fact that you are playing with a broken model. Okay, don't. And unfortunately, if you do, I think you're going to continue to pay the price for it. Don't pay that price. There's a better way. Call us, 866-779-RISK, and 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, boardcapitalmanagement.com. Follow me on Twitter, at KYR Radio. Stick with us through the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Do better in bull markets. Do better in bear markets. Pay less fees in all markets. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. You can subscribe to Zach's free newsletter, The Bulwark Insider Report, at knowyourriskradio.com. We're talking to Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. Zach, what's the number one concern with people's investments right now? Without a doubt, it's inflation, and it's here. With all the money printing from the Fed and long period of zero interest rates, the bills come and due, and inflation's going up. And when inflation rises, bonds get smoked. We've been saying it for years. If you're using bonds in the old school 60-40 mix with stocks as the safe portion of your portfolio, you're taking a risk in today's inflationary environment. So what should our listeners do? 
If you're worried about inflation, we believe that you should consider getting out of bonds and get educated with Bulwark's bond replacement strategy. We teach you exactly how to do it in our free booklet, Common Sense Investing. Learn how to protect your portfolio against loss, but still seek to grow your assets. Call Zach now for your free copy of Common Sense Investing, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client services agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thanks for sticking with us. Yeah, while, while we were break there, I pulled up a couple different things. Uh, yeah, 30-year mortgage, if this is correct, I'm looking at this. I'm not a mortgage expert, but where I look, it's saying right now that average 30-year mortgage is back up to 6.8. Uh, it's pretty... I, it's pretty remarkable, though. Even though it's ridiculous, it is remarkable. And it was, I was telling our junior analyst that the other day. I was like, hey, you got to just, you know, this, this kind of stuff can be frustrating. But you got to sit back and, and take this in. These are the kind of stories you're going to be telling the young guys when you're, you know, when you're old and gray like I am. And, I, you know, I'm, he's, I'm only 15 years older than he is. But, um, you know, it, it just... This is remarkable to watch rates move up like this and watch stocks rally at the same time, you know, just like in defiance of financial gravity. It's, it's pretty fascinating. Um, the, yeah. We, and we already talked about the Tesla one. It, this is going to be interesting to see the way this plays out. Um, Cause Dow Tesla, the FSD, the, the full self-driving getting, getting um, looked at by the NHTSA. It was at the national highway and safety, NHSTA, something like that. Um, having to recall 400,000 cars. Um, that stock has been beaten up, but continues to defy gravity. Like uh, it's pretty remarkable. They cut prices, you know, because you gotta, you gotta sit back and look, right. The whole Tesla story, unlimited demand. We can't make enough of these things. Well, then what are you cutting the prices for? Right. It's because the demand is slowing and they're an automobile company. And yes, will they continue to grow? I think so. Right. But You've got 10 years of growth already priced into the stock, 10 years of excellent growth priced into the stock. And the Tesla fanboys are still saying, you know, yeah, just I'm doubling down, man. Crazy times, crazy times for sure that we're living in. Um, So the things that we're watching right now, guys, I just think that this is kind of a, yeah, I want to be over pessimistic. And I, this is kind of hyperbolic to say this because I I just don't know of another expression. It's kind of like a slow moving train wreck. I continue to just see the outlook being extraordinarily obvious. And when that, now, if that changes, if I prove wrong, which I could, right? It was like uh, in the COVID bounce back, you know, right? When that happened, I was thinking that we'd roll over again and test the lows. And um, I was wrong, right? So we we could certainly be wrong. And when I was wrong, we pivoted, right? You roll with it. Um, And I could certainly be wrong about this, but if you just look at the data, if you look at rates, if you look at inflation, the other thing that I think people are glossing over is when you look at the inflation scenario, that you've got all of these companies seeing significant earnings stall outs, if not contractions, revenue dropping, all this other kind of stuff, and inflation still staying hot. That's really concerning because I'm not making a prediction for here, but what you're if you were to sit back and just look at everything right now and you know, try to interpret what you saw, you would look at this environment and say stagflation. Now, I'm not saying that that is going to be the persistent feature, right? Or the persistent state of affairs, but that's what you've got right now. And guys, that's like the worst of all worlds, right? That's where prices stay high in a recession. I've always said that the only thing beneficial about recessions are the prices go down, right? Well, a stagflation is a recession where people are losing their jobs and prices still don't go down. That's the nastiest of both worlds, right? For those of, I mean, I was young, I was a baby at the time, but you know, those were a lot of the conditions that we dealt with during the seventies. And if you don't know, if you, if you don't know that that wasn't a really fun time to be an investor, go talk to somebody. Okay. Now, again, I'm not saying this condition is going to persist for 10 years. I'm not even saying it's going to persist for the, for the remainder of the year. It's just amazing to watch markets just completely choose to ignore things right in front of them. And if you've got this backdrop with these dynamics in play, I don't, can't tell you where the market should be, but shouldn't, I mean, pff, 
23 times earnings with the data you're seeing. And like I said, I just think people are giving it a, a I, I, I just think the context is wrong. Consumer's still strong. No, it's not. On an inflationary basis, you're down, right? Consumer spending was down three and a half if you adjust it for inflation, right? And when you have an inflationary problem, consumer spending going up isn't good, right? So I just the lack of context. And I don't even know why I should be surprised, guys, right? That's, we, we've talked about this a lot too. It, it's this, it's this, fo- this follow through, right? The, the culture and the political situation and the finance, it all is similar in that way. Right. Like it's this, we're not just picking the market out and going, this doesn't make any sense, but it's just this weird period of time where the facts don't seem to matter and everybody's free to believe their own thing. So what do you do in an environment like this? You manage risk. It's the only thing you know how to do. Right. Um, And then, like he said, going back to what the Morgan Stanley guy said, I agree with him. There is, there are good things out there, but it's probably not the things that your buddies at work are talking about. What they're talking about is getting in there and buying all these stocks that have dropped so much. And they think they're the new Warren Buffett's. But buying a stock that was trading at 40 times sales and buying it when it's at 15 times sales with growth slowing, that isn't a value stock, right? That's not what Buffett's talking about, okay? And I just think, you know, the the other thing that's concerning to me is you talk to, I talk to so many of these other retail investors and, or, or listen to them. I don't really talk to a lot because our clients hire us to do the investing for them. But um, there's just a ton of overconfidence out there still, right? Just oh yeah, this is going back and really, and, um, you know, I, I'll just tell you this, if this market is bottomed, this is unlike any other bull market bottom or bear market bottom in history. And I just, I think we got lower to go. So we want to watch rates when the fed came out there and floated that 50 bip comment. Let's see what they let, let's, let's see them. I, I'm interested to see what the fed has to do says and does. I'm very interested to see what the Fed says and does over the next four weeks. So that's the number one thing we're watching. Obviously, keep an eye on CPI prints, inflation data, all that kind of stuff. Rates, you guys know the drill. Anyway, we'll be back next week as always. Have a wonderful weekend. And all of the long-awaited interviews are coming. I promise you're going to get a flood of them. So stick with us. And, uh, well, and not stick with us. We're leaving. So anyway, have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Thanks for listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Schedule your free risk review with Zach Abraham now at knowyourriskradio.com. Zach will be back with more Know Your Risk Radio next Saturday at noon on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.